When I was in about sixth grade, I was on a rec baseball team. And uh, I wasn't getting much playing time, probably because I wasn't very good at catching or throwing and didn't have good hand-eye coordination. I don't know, maybe that, I don't know if it was that or just politics. <laughs> I think it's probably my lack of skill as a baseball player. And I was, uh, it, it was one of those games where, you know, we weren't doing so well. We were down a little bit, I think by one. And I had this classic baseball moment. I think it was seventh or eighth inning, two outs, and I had an opportunity because it was my bat. Now, I remember looking at the score, and I remember thinking, I haven't hit the ball all year. What makes me think anything's going to be different today? And my coach put his arm around me right before I ran out, and he was like, all right, listen, Chris, you can be a hero. You can be a hero. You can get that hit. You get on base, we'll take care of the rest. You can be a hero. You can save this game for us. And he got me all pumped up. I was like, yeah, boy. And so I walked to the plate feeling big. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a hero. And I stood right there, and first pitch came, strike. I was like, oh, wait, that came faster than I was ready. All right, here we go. This is it. Second pitch, strike two. All right, so here's the deal. Like, you got two strikes down. I'm not a good batter already. I'm thinking, okay, that's right. My dad told me, don't forget to swing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to swing. I don't care what pitch came. The coach had said, wait for your pitch, Chris. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I was like, well, no one's sending me my pitch. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe this is it. So I did what any great batter would do. I just decided I'm going to close my eyes and swing for the fences. <laughs> That's what they all do, right? The great ones. So it was like, here comes things. And I was like, close my eyes. And lo and behold, I made contact. Clink. And like, ah, oh. and then my coach is like, run, run, run. And my parents are like, go, run, run. So I take off down first place, run, and I get to first base, and I run through first base. I was so excited. I was elated. I was just over the moon so much that I didn't even recognize the pitcher had fielded the ball and threw me out before I got to first base. And I was not a hero. Uh, we, I think we lost that game. It wasn't my fault. Uh, there's nothing I could have done. Uh, Here's the thing, I think we all have this like desire, maybe it starts in childhood, maybe it's later in life, the desire to kind of be the hero, to come in and make a difference. Like not everyone's gonna get a Nobel Peace Prize, but like you wanna do something that matters and something that makes a difference and uh, maybe hit that home run, maybe go to work and have the good idea that saves the day, maybe come in and just be that all-star player on the team that you work with. But more often than not, our daily routine can be less magical than that. I'm not saying there aren't highlights. We all have highs and lows. But when we step back and we look at our life in general, there's a word for it. We call it the rat race. I mean, it's just like I'm up in the morning, I work all day, I come home tired, and over and over again. And maybe it's hard to feel like I'm making a real difference. I mean, maybe we're making money. Maybe we're building houses. Maybe we're putting savings away. But it's like this innate feeling of, does it matter? So today we're talking about work again. Last week we started our conversation. I'm calling this series, Good Work, Finding Purpose in My 9 to 5. Because we all have something that we do with our time. It's our job. It's our occupation. And last week we talked about, you know, it can be a blessing and a curse. And, and I got to tell you, it must have hit a nerve last week because we talked about it this week. I had people all throughout the week sending me messages, text messages, Facebook stuff, uh, emails when I saw you in person, and just saying, listen, what, I, what we talked about last week was exactly where I am. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And I think it's because we spend 25% of our life working. 
The numbers that I shared last week for some of that research is that on average, a person will spend 90,000 hours of their life working the best of our time, the best of our energy. Yet surveys show that 70% or more of people report that they are not satisfied with their job. And what do we do with that? We run as hard as we can, and then the pitcher throws us out at first base. And we ask ourselves, like, did it make a difference? Did it matter? It sounded like a lot of us needed to hear what we talked about last week, and so I want to remind you if you heard it, or maybe let you hear it for the first time. I do encourage you to go back, check it out on the podcast. I hope it's a, like, a helpful thing in your life. But these are the two big points we talked about last week. The first one, God gave us work as a gift. It is. It's a gift that God gave us. He wants to partner with us in this world to make things happen. That's really a big chunk of what we talked about last week. But work is also a daily reminder of the fact that we need God. I mean, I don't care how many hours you work. I don't care how many empires you build. There's still a spiritual portion of your life that you can't manage by yourself. And so our work is a reminder that that we've been given the gift to be able to partner with God and do things in the world. He has a bigger purpose beyond the physical and the here and the now. So this week, what I want to do is I want to carry that good work idea to the next level or one step further. And I want to be that batting coach that can kind of come around each one of us, put my arm around you and say, listen, you can be a hero. You know, in your nine to five What you're doing can make a difference. And check this out. I'm going to tell you this. I just talked about missionaries in Indonesia. You actually don't have to pack up everything you own and go be a missionary in Indonesia to partner with God and make a huge difference in the world. In fact, there's a good chance that you can keep doing exactly what you're doing right now or perhaps a modified version of what you're doing right now and everything that you're doing bring him glory uh, because of where your heart is. And here's the big idea to get us rolling today. If you are serving God... You don't have to settle for having a career. That's what we're coached from the smallest age up. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's all about the career. It's all about building the empire for myself. You don't have to settle for a career. In fact, you shouldn't. Instead, your career can become your calling. That's the big idea. I'm letting it out of the bag early. Your career can be more than just a career. It can be a calling Every week we look to the Bible for God's most important truths. And if you've got a Bible today, I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab it. Uh, we're going to be in a couple of different places today, but we're going to start out in 1 Peter chapter 2. That's in the New Testament of the Bible, that last third of your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, by all means, look it up on the internet. The YouVersion Bible app is top-notch. I love that app. Also, we've got free Bibles over here in this gray shelf. And so uh, if you want one, take one. You can go grab one now or you can just take one home with you later. We want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible. But we're going to look at some passages of Scripture and ask ourselves, what does it look like to view my career, my nine to five, as a calling? Let's talk about that for a second. The idea of a calling. Uh, It started out as a Christian one, actually. Uh, One word that we would use for an, an occupation is the word vocation. What is your vocation? And that word vocation comes from an old Latin root word, uh, vocatio. And it means a voice, like a a vocal cord, vocalize, right? So vocatio. And what would happen is uh, early Christians used to refer to it that their clergymen that would be kind of their pastor type people, they would refer to those people as having a vocatio, a calling, as if they kind of heard, uh, you know, God moving them in a certain direction in society and taking this role as a clergy, and they would say that they had a vocatio, a calling. And it's cool that it's, it's integrated into our vocabulary, and we talk about someone's vocation, it just means their job. But that word originally comes from this concept of saying what I do 
is bigger than what I do. It's, it's the impact I make. It's the God part of it. Uh, there's another word I want to look at, too. The, the word that we also call our occupation. There's lots of words, but one is profession. My profession. Uh, profession also comes from early Christianity, and, and the idea was this. A Christ follower's work ethic was a profession of what they believed about God. And so this is an era, and it, not that it's way different today, but things are cutthroat. People are apt to be dishonest and whatever. And if you're a Christ follower, you say, no, no, the way that I conduct business is going to be a profession of my faith, how I feel and believe about God. And so those two, those are cool ideas, profession, vocation, both built into our culture and our vocabulary already to say, listen, what you're already doing could very well be a calling. It could be something that God could use in your life. And I think that it's time that we check out of the rat race of modern work and maybe we return to the roots of what Christianity uh, tried to do with our work and say, listen, whatever it is you do, you can do it for God. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. So 1 Peter is where I said we'd be. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's one of my all-time favorite passages. Uh, I've taught on it many times before, and this is why. There's so much meat on the bones of this, uh, this chapter that it could be parsed out and taught in so many levels, and it's so awesome, and it fits perfectly in uh, the thing that I believe we need to hear today. So we're just going to jump in. 1 Peter 2, 9. This is the apostle Peter talking. He says to the church there, you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, your God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So it's important when we look at this passage, uh, let's go back to, yeah, that's good right here. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That as he wrote this passage, he wasn't writing it to a group of pastors. He wasn't writing it to a group of missionaries. He wasn't writing it to Bible college professors. He was writing it to the church. Anybody that says, I'm a Christian, he's writing it to that group of people. He says, listen, we all, we all are chosen people. We all are a royal priesthood. That's a really fancy phrase there, isn't it? But the priesthood, especially in, in biblical understanding, like the, the priest is gonna be the person who's like the bridge between man and God. So if you wanna kind of learn about God, or you wanna offer a sacrifice to God or whatever, like these are the things in the, in the Old Testament time, that's how they would do it. And in the church era, he says, listen, no, you, you don't have to go to a priest, a holy man, some special person. You have the ability to represent yourself before God. You can pray, you could talk to God, you can interact with what God's doing in the world. He says, you are all a holy nation, which is significant. You are all to do good and to point people to God. And so here, here's this is idea that comes out of this, that we are all on a mission from God. Now I want to take a step back from your vocation, from your occupation, from your nine to five for a second. And just ask ourselves a bigger, broader question. What am I here for? What can I do in this world? Maybe what does God want me to do? Maybe you felt that there are some people who are kind of a little closer to God. You know, they kind of have God's ear a little bit. And so maybe this is the, the, the pe preacher, pastor, a church elder, Sunday school teacher, your grandma with the really thick Bible. You know, like there's some people like, man, they're really close to God. But that's, that's, that's actually a myth. It's, it's, it's a myth that there are some people that are like have better access to God than, than any of us do. We all have this equal chance. We're a priesthood of all believers. We get this opportunity to approach God. The book of Hebrews said we can approach God's throne full of grace. We can approach it. 
It's an amazing thing. There are levels when it comes to serving God. And as the church, like I don't know where all of us are in this room right now. Most of the faces I'm looking at are here a lot. I know a lot of you are like straight up hardcore professing Christians. I would guess that there's you might be in the room, you're like, I'm still figuring this out for myself. I'm gonna tell you something. This is the nature of a Christ follower, someone who says, I can approach God. And the cool thing about that is it gives us this mission to help other people see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes this, and just check this out. He says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down for all the churches. There's that word calling again. You've been called out of darkness into his light. You have been called to, to, to live as a believer in whatever situation you find yourself in. You have a vocation. You have a calling. You have a directive from God, a mission, something that you can accomplish while you're here on this earth. What is that calling? I think that's kind of the journey. <laughs> that's the journey. That's what Christianity, that's what our life is. We get to kind of walk that out day by day. But I'd love to go back to this passage from 1 Peter that we were just in, chapter 2. We already read it, but let's look at it again. This time I got a section underlined. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This mission, this mission is about declaring those praises and then offering that to other people. Say, listen, I, let me tell you, I, I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. The old song, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me invite you to find that for yourself. And so I want you, I want to encourage you, whatever you think of as your vocation, as your nine to five, I'm a teacher, I'm a city employee, I'm a first responder, I'm a builder, I'm a business owner, I'm an artist, I'm a stay-at-home mom, like whatever it is that you say, this is the fill-in-the-blank thing that I am. What if instead you could say, I'm on a mission from God? Because I was like, uh, remember the Blues Brothers, Jake and Elroy? I'm on a mission from God. But we've got this mission, this directive, and every time... We get into these scenarios and someone asks you, hey, what do you do? Now, I wanna, you probably don't want to say, well, I'm on a mission from God, because that would be like, they, they wouldn't be following you. But just before you tell them, I'm a business owner, you can say, smile inside and go, man, I'm on a mission from God. Like, that's, that's the heart of what I do. And from nine to five, I do this. And it starts to reprogram, rewire the way our brains think about what we do. Because it's true, no matter what you're doing as a career, if you're a Christian, your first responsibility is your calling. Can I live this out through what I do? That's a simple idea. Like, I could stand up here and, and be like, all right, so we're done. Close the book, let's go home. But I want to take the rest of the time we have together today and kind of workshop it out. Like, look at some real tangible, practical things that you can do, that I can do in my day-to-day -day life that are going to help me live this out. What does it look like for me to transition my career into a calling? Because that might be something that you really want to work on. Uh, and so there are three things. I, lo I love lists of three. They're really easy to remember. If you take notes, uh, the little packets in your seat, some of them have a... Uh, it's a blank paper. You can flip something over. You can write in the margin of your Bible. These three things are things I believe you can put into practice right now. You can start putting these to work as you go to work tomorrow morning or if you've got to work this afternoon. Uh, and, and I'm just going to jump right into them. What, what's the first way that we can turn our career into a calling? I think it begins with how you work. How you work. Because when you do your work, first and foremost, you're there to make God look good. 
You're, you're there to, when someone sees you, they're like, man, there's something different about that person. And the way you conduct business and the way you carry yourself and the language that you use and the methodology and the ethics that you carry with yourself, it's all about how you work. And there's like a lot of different ways we could talk about this. But as I look through the Bible, I see an example of some people who were in a really sorry work situation. Uh, if you know the Old Testament stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then you'll kind of know where I'm going. And if you don't, I totally check, check those out. I recommend that you check out their story, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll find that in the Old Testament of the Bible. But here's their, their work, work scenario. Okay, they were government officials. They had been exiled from their homeland and brought as a, a pretty boy, smart people into the new land by this new king who was their new emperor. Okay, and, and the thing about this guy is that he was an, an egomaniac, narcissistic psychopath who required everyone in the country to bow down and worship him. You might be like, this kind of sounds like my boss a little bit. <laughs> like, this is not a good boss to have, okay? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, all of them were like, well, we're not going to do the things that you say. That's, that goes against what we say. But they decided to set an example in how they lived. And so that, that's kind of their, their situation, and that's where they were. Now, there's a prophet named Jeremiah who, who shared some things from God along that tam- same timeline. And I want to, knowing what we know about their life situation, The king's name was Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. I want to look at what God spoke into this moment. Check this out, okay? Terrible work situation, and this was God's advice for all the people who were living in that that time. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. It'll be on the screen for you, too. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city of which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Why would God command the nation of Israel, knowing how terrible the situation was for them, to fully just set roots in, move in, live there. I think it's because God had a mission for them. I want to plant you among these people, and I want them to see what grows and what fruit you produce. God can use us to make differences in the lives of people around us. And no matter how unjust or evil it may seem, no matter how bad your work situation may be right now, and again, you can apply this beyond just your nine to five. This works in a lot of areas of our life. But we get an opportunity to be planted there on a mission to shine his light into that darkness by how you work. God can use you to make a difference. Colossians 3, chapter 17 says this. This is like one of my life verses. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. No matter what you do, do it for him. Those Old Testament characters, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, uh, they did it by not compromising their values. Uh, There were times when they were asked to do things that violated God's will, and they said, "Ah, you know, we're gonna do it a different way, and sometimes that didn't go well for them. And other times it was like, wow, that was actually impressive how that worked. But they stuck to their, their morals, But they also just say, look, I'll do the job that's required of me. I will do that. And what's crazy is if you see their whole picture play out, this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, this narcissistic, egomaniac, homicidal, jerk, maniac, crude king guy, I'm I'm painting a picture of this guy, 
by the end of his story, he sees the influence of these men and he says, their God is real. And he gives praise to their God. I don't know how much his heart changed, but he saw it and he gave praise to God. And that's the impact we can have. So let me get real with us for a minute because maybe you're in a season where work is really hard. Like it might be even a bad season for you. Maybe you do have an evil boss or some mean coworkers or maybe people are just irritating or maybe you just don't like the work that you do. Like I just can't stand it. I don't find purpose in it. I don't find meaning in it. I don't want to do it anymore. First, I want to tell you this. It's totally okay for you to pray about that and look for other work. That's totally fine. That's good. I mean, but here's the deal. While you're there, God's got a mission for you. And the first way you can live that out is how you work. The attitude, the actions, the ethic, all those things, how you work. So there's, there's more we could say, but I want to talk about two more. So the first thing is how you work. The second thing is how you interact with people, how you interact with people. See, as much as God values the work we do, we talked about that last week, it's a gift and it's a reminder of how much we need him and all these things. More than the work that we do, you know what he values more? The people that are around us. We are his chosen uh, possession. We're his special creation. We were created in his image and all these things. And maybe, maybe this is where you need the help the most because people are hard. Like there's a common joke probably in almost every field of business and it goes like this. You know, this job wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for all these people. Like the... The tasks I do aren't terrible, but man, that jerk I've got to sit beside, I want to punch him in the throat every day. Or the customer, or the, co- the, the, the bosses, or the employees, like it drives us crazy. But guess what? The people are the most important part of the equation. They're the people that God said, listen, I love them so much, I'm going to send my son to die for them. I created them in my image. I love them the most. And I know that Jim really drives you crazy, but you're going to have to look over that for just a few minutes because I got a mission for you. And so how we interact with people really matters, whether it's our coworkers, our employees, our bosses, our customers. It matters to the mission. How you deal with gossip and office politics matters in the profession of your faith. How you receive feedback from people is a profession of your faith. How you motivate your coworkers or your employees, how you take interest in others and socialize and hang out, how you conduct yourself, the integrity with which you treat your customers or your timesheet or the business credit card. That integrity is huge. All of it is a profession of what you believe about God. And how you interact with those people makes a huge difference in transferring your career into a calling. It matters, and it can be hard. And so we need God's help to do this. Remember, we work to remind us how much we need God. And so he steps in, he fills the gap in so many ways. Part of that's being in community with other believers and like being able to talk about it. Like if you need to vent about work, uh, you're in a good place. Uh, we, we all do it. Uh, some of you work together. You vent to somebody else, that's fine. And then go back to work and love each other. That's just how, that's just how this thing works. Because that way we interact with each other makes a difference. Jesus said this uh, in, in Matthew chapter five, verse 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. And we quote that all the time. I'm wearing our shine light shirt that we had a couple months ago. Like, it's one of our core verses as a church, that we shine light in dark places. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, it actually matters 
how you act in the world and how you interact with people. The, the second verse I want to show you, this is what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, live such a good life among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So even when we're surrounded by people who have completely different worldview than us or different you know, idea of who God is or whatever, we just live it out. And as we interact with people and how we do our work, it makes a difference. And that's how we can begin to transfer our career into a calling. The last thing is this. So how we do our work, how we interact with people, the third one is this. How you engage spiritually. This is the most important one. It might be the hardest one. But I think that we've got some really practical things we can work through in the last few minutes we got together. I want to check out this passage from the Apostle Paul. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 17. And he talks about this uh, specific job description that God gives Christians. This is really cool. Verse 17. Maybe you recognize this first verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Time out. That means that when you decide to become a Christian, you should be different. One reason that Christians get this rap for being hypocrites all the time is because we forget that. We're like, you know what? I want to call myself a Christian, but just act the same way I did before I knew Jesus. And so he's reminding us, listen, God is remaking you every day. That's the starting point. But then verse 18, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He gives us, make a mental note, what God gives us is this job, a ministry, uh, a calling, a mission, a ministry of reconciliation. We'll get back to that. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the ministry of reconciliation. So I don't know if that's a word you use very often, reconciliation. It's, it's a simple concept. You got two estranged parties. Maybe it was uh, your spouse and you had an argument and there's some period of fussing. Maybe it was you and your friend, a coworker, you're upset. But then you talk it out. And you make up and you're friends again, right? That's reconciliation. The two parties come back together and you've made things right again. And this is what God did for us through Jesus. He said, listen, you've been estranged from me because of your sin, because of your attitude, because of your behavior, because of your heart against me. Guess what? I'm going to come to earth in the form of Jesus. I'm going to reconcile your heart to mine. I'm going to make it possible for us to be back together. And then this is a cool thing. He takes that baton of reconciliation and he passes it on to believers, to Christians. He says, now you have a job, the ministry of reconciliation. Your job is to help other people find that reconciliation, to help other people come back on good terms with me, to have other people understand my grace and my forgiveness, and to know that I love them, the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what our mission is. And I love at the very end of that passage, he says, oh man, this is like, I kind of wish this wasn't here because it really raises the bar on what the church needs to be doing. But I'm glad it's there because it challenges us. It says, you are ambassadors of Christ. You know what an ambassador is? Like for nations, I mean, if you're an ambassador from another country, you can in many ways kind of speak on behalf of that country or, or share things that are happening over in that country. You represent fully that country in that setting based on, the, based on how the arrangement is for you as an ambassador. And Christ looks at us, meager, broken, tore up, me and you. He says, listen, I forgive you. I've given you my grace and here's your job. I want you to speak for me. I want you to do things on my behalf. I want you to be my ambassador. And when you walk into a room, people look at you and go, whoa, 
That guy's, that guy's had his life impacted by God. And he's got something to say. She's got something to say. And so that's why this last point, we say how you work, uh, how we uh, interact with others, but how we engage spiritually is important. Because we're not just here to be friendly people. We're here to point people to the living God. And so at some point in our relationships at work and with our coworkers and with our neighbors, we have to engage spiritually. And I don't know why, but we get nervous about engaging spiritually with people, especially in our postmodern culture. Don't tell me what's true. You have your truth. I'll have my truth. And then we just ignore it. But we've been told that God loves us, and there is forgiveness, and there is reconciliation. So we get nervous. I think, I think probably the reason we get so nervous about that is because we wonder, you know, we, th- we think, I'm afraid that I won't be able to say the right thing because I don't know what to tell them. Is that fair? Like, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to misspeak or someone's going to ask me a question I can't answer. And so this morning, I want to demystify this process a little bit, okay? You don't have to tell people much. In fact, it wasn't even Jesus' primary way of communicating to just tell people stuff. Um, in a book called Jesus is the Question, a guy named Martin D. Copenhaver, he notes that in the four Gospels, Jesus was asked 183 questions. 183, that's a lot of questions. Maybe you have a two-year-old. You've experienced this on a car ride, okay? 183 questions. But out of the 183 questions that we have recorded in Scripture, he only directed, directly answered somewhere between three and eight of those questions, depending on how you count the response. Let's say five. 138 questions, he directly answers five, but he asks 307 questions. Questions. Questions are so valuable when it comes to learning. And Copenhaver notes that based on this data, it seems that Jesus, just based on these recorded interactions, Jesus is 40 times more likely to ask a question than to give a direct answer. Now, there are direct great answers to our hard questions, and Jesus does address so many of them, and the rest of Scripture addresses so many of them. But we get bogged down in the details and the questions that we forget to seek truth and just God And then we shut down, and we don't want to talk to people. And I believe that there are so many great answers to life's questions, but I think when it comes to loving people and pointing them to God, one of the easiest and and most effective ways we can love them and start to tell our story is by just asking questions and caring. Here's some great questions, simple questions. Where'd you grow up? Huh. What was your family, uh, what was it like? What was your family like when it grew up? Yeah. Was your family religious growing up? Did you guys do church or anything? Cool. What was that like for you? What are your experiences? Man, already you've got just like a book of answers that they could give you. And just, you've been here, you've done this. Questions, what are you passionate about? What's, uh, what's your spiritual background? And, and as you get a little more into it, you can ask little slightly deeper questions. What, what are your thoughts about God? You know, what thoughts do you have? If you could do anything with your life, what would it be? What would you do? And these questions invite people to talk about their own experience and their deeper desires And they can be an on-ramp to more important spiritual conversations. And here's the key. When we ask these simple questions, don't just ask. You're not doing a book report for school. Listen. Because the answers that they give are very important. These are real people that you love. You're already friends with them. Listen. Care about them. And one reason we got to really care about what they say is because they're really important to God. God gave his life for these people and their answers. 
Don't look for holes to poke in their worldviews and start slashing them and throwing stuff at them and hitting them with your Bible. No, listen. What it does is it opens up a dialogue. We're not just anymore knocking on doors and asking people, if you die today, are you going to hell or heaven? Like, that's just not effective. That's not a communication. That's not the message that God wants to have. He says, listen, you can turn your life to me now, and it can be different. You can have light instead of darkness and a calling. And what's cool is as we do that, as we listen, as we uh, get to permission into that part of their life, you can share your story. What does it look like to share your story? Well, you simply tell the story of what God's done in your life. I once was in darkness, now I'm in light. I once had this, now I have this. I got all these questions, I got a few of them answered, I still got more questions. And as you continue this dialogue, you invite them on that journey with you. Not like, I'm up on the pedestal and you're down here, let me lift you up, scum. (laughs) But say, hey, we're all right here. Let's just walk through this together. Let's seek God together. And sure, invite them to join the the journey with you, coming to church on Sunday morning or doing a Bible study with you or prayer with you. And I'm going to tell you what, a lot of your friends will not accept the invitation. Lots of times. Pray for them. Keep loving them. Don't judge them and hate on them for it. Just keep on being an influence. Keep on showing them through how you work. When people will see your good deeds, eventually they will give glory to your Father in heaven in this life or the next. It's going to happen. And suddenly, as we demystify the the fear of talking about our faith, we change how we work, we change how we interact, and we have more than just a career, more than just a paycheck and a retirement plan, more than just the biggest house in the block or the desire for a new iPhone or a new car. We're like, man, I can wake up in the morning and be pumped about what I do. I want to represent God as an ambassador. I want to tell people about his love. You might be here this morning and thinking like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm still just kind of checking out, kicking the tires of Christianity a little bit. Guess what? Awesome. That's what this is. We're on a journey together. And so if that's where you are on the journey, thank you for being here. Thanks for trusting me long enough to sit and listen long enough. And, but here's what I want to tell you this. There's a room full of people with stories, and I want to encourage you to meet them. Let them tell you, like, okay, look, prove it. <laughs> is God worth it? Listen to their stories. I can say that without fear because I have heard so many God stories that I know that it makes a huge difference to hear what God's done in other people's lives. Um, Church, you're on a mission from God. You can be a hero. Keep swinging, and your career is part of your calling. Let's do good work. Let's pray together today.